Hello, everybody. Brian Tuck, your host here. This is Creator Confidential. And today we have a broadcast, I suppose, of a radio interview that I just did on 1520 AM, which is uh, here in Westchester, Pennsylvania, celebrating or talking about or previewing, however you want to look at it, uh, my new upcoming album called Life in High Gravity with my 13-piece band. We'll, we'll get into a little bit about how the band uh, evolved and what's on the record and preview a couple of tracks. Joining me is one of my collaborators, Nolan Weibel, who's uh, a terrific trumpet player and, uh, and also an arranger as well. Here we go with Donna Paul, 1520 AM, Westchester, PA, earlier this week. Check it out. You're listening to Creator Confidential with Brian Tuck. Creator Confidential starts now. Donna Saul with Eagle Skyfire and with Bree Ezra. And we have two guests in the studio, Nolan Weibel and Brian Tuck. They have a new album coming out on the September 14th called Life in High Gravity. So, Nolan, you are the arranger, and Brian, you are... Uh, the band leader. Band leader. Brings the project. Yeah. Brings the project, right? <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment, really, is what I am. So, <laughs> so, so you guys are Westchester alums, too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. you're current, right? Yes. You still so have their hooks in you. Exactly. Yeah, last yeah. semester, that's it, reeling up, and then, you know, I'll be out of there. So, awesome. Thank nice. You. Yeah, yeah Breeze, a graduate. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. There you go. Yep. God, I feel wait. God, I feel old. Yeah. <laughs> how it goes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. how did this project come about? Is this your first CD? Uh, under my own name, yeah. Okay. This is um, this band started up a couple of years ago, and I always wanted a big, big live experience for people. So, in this band, we've got a rhythm section, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, but we have a nine-piece horn section. So I tell people who aren't, you know, jazz heads or whatever, uh, you know, if you like Chicago or Toto or um, Santana or bands like that, this is for you. And uh, we try, you know, we try to we try to pick songs that people know. You know, we got a Bee Gees song on this record that, um, you know, a lot of, you know, quote unquote, traditional jazz people might not consider. Of recording, but I know, you know, for like my wife in in that example, that was one of her favorite songs, and I know, you know, you've heard "How Deep Is Your Love" hundreds of times. So by picking some songs that are familiar to people, uh, when they come see us, even if they don't, even if they're not sure what they're going to get, they're going to get something they're they're familiar with, and it's a great experience, and they're going to leave happy, which is, you know, really the goal because we're. Uh, musicians, but we're entertainers. It should be fun to come mm-hmm. see this band. I well, think. Ha- can we jump into one of their songs? We're probably not going to be able to play the whole thing because of the length, but let's hear it and then let's talk a little bit about brother it. Brother to brother? Love. Yeah, let's go. do it.
Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Myself, along with um, a colleague of mine named Anthony Sadik, who's also a composer ranger. Um, we're both from the area, actually. And, um, yeah, we grew up here in school at Westchester. Uh, Anthony is one of, you know, like eight brothers and sisters, and they're all, like, I consider the musical prodigies, and he's actually moving out to Nashville in a couple months. But, um, yeah, I really, um, Brian approached you at the project and wanted some help getting charts together, and I referred to Anthony to get some help. So the two of us uh, really took the whole thing on and just, you know, tried to tackle as best we could and really tried to honor some of, like, what Brian was talking about, some really great classic tunes, but put a new spin on it as well, too. So that's why I think me, myself, and Anthony, and Brian, too, really love about the project is that there's something for everyone on there, you know anyone can pop this album on and there's something that you you should you know find hopefully pleasant to listen to yeah so how do you decide to like be an arranger like where does that come from have you always been musically inclined um you know a little bit i kind of started like any other kid in middle school i started playing an instrument in fourth grade and i'm a trumpet player that's really what i do and just along the way through college and through playing out i've done a lot of different types of music anything from i'll play in church in Nebraska until on Sunday I'll play in a rock band on Friday night and that's what I like to do I just really like to be around music and there's other skills I try to acquaint myself with for um yeah just for me but also to work too and arranging and composing was one of them I really just fell into writing when I got into college and Anthony is really a pro at it and so I really deferred to him to you know help me get some expertise in it but yeah it's another tool in the toolbox I really tried to pick up along the way. Mm-hmm. And is this the first time you've been like, like published like the, the album I mean you've actually got something down that. Yes absolutely I, I've done multiple arrangements things like that and I've gotten the opportunity to do some live performance but it's the first time and, and from Anthony as well too um, that we've had multiple arrangements on a track produced on an album able to put them out will be out on Spotify as well available for purchase for vinyl so it's very cool to have something this is, you know, our baby. We put our names yeah, on it. So it's, yeah, it's very, very cool. Yeah. So how did you conceive the project, Brian? Well, so the band, like I said, had formed a couple of years ago. And, and part of it is finding the right mix of personalities. So this thing is a machine. So when you, when you, when you get the record, uh, there are about 16 or 17 performers on there in, in different configurations. Um, part of it was just finding the right people. It's like building a team in any other industry you have to have chemistry uh you know between the players to make the entire thing move especially uh when it's a bigger band the way this one is so um doing the record was just something that i you know always knew i wanted to do and this will be the first in a string the 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 rhythm section uh the guitarist uh bd lentz bass player Brian Bortz and myself, we recorded an EP, just the three of us, in March and released that. And um, it's just a natural evolution for the band. So we're going to keep doing this. And I've already have something cooked up for 2020 that I'll roll out to the guys uh, when we get down the road a couple of months. Now uh, you're keeping this band. This band will stay intact, right, going forward? Yes. This is your band. Yes. Your band. You mm-hmm. guys are all... Okay. Yes. So uh, when you... Um, did you find... Like, if you're the band leader, are you conceptually put this all together? I, I don't know a lot about jazz, so I'm kind of stumbling sure. through this in some respects. This, I tell people that this is a rock band uh, in a, a big band's clothing because when you, again, when you come to see us, we'll be at the uh, Kennett Flash, uh, which is a 100-seat listening room in uh, Kennett Square. They're getting a lot of press right lately. I mean, they're yeah. doing some, you know, there's been some stuff around mm-hmm. here, but they're really kind of taking the lead now yep. and really coming out like they're the horse that's winning the race it's the only room of its size 
in the area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for for us, a hundred people, that's a good. Uh, it's it's you can still see everybody in the audience very closely. You can make eye contact. You're not, you know, it's it's sort of an intimate no experience. Yeah. But we'll be there Saturday, September 14th. Uh, you can uh, if you just go to kennetflash.org, you can get tickets um, through their website. And but if you, like I said, even if you don't know stylistically what it is. Just come see it because when you have all of those performers on stage, and I will put these guys up against anybody, um, we can take this band to New York or to Nashville or Chicago or LA. Uh, we've got some pl- some really terrific musicians from the Lehigh Valley, from North Jersey, from Westchester University, uh, from University of the Arts um, in Philly, and these guys are all killers. In did a good you, way. Did everybody. you approach them? I mean, did you like construct this band? You said, a like, lot of it was a, a lot of it was I know a guy. Yeah, is okay. the method. Yeah. So you know, I talked to Nolan, and I'm like, okay, we're looking for a baritone sax player. We're looking for a third trombone, and Nolan's like, I know a guy. Yeah. Or we needed a singer. Kind of like a Philadelphia thing. We, I know very yeah. much so. Yes. Yeah, in a good way. We yeah. uh, <laughs> we cover a Tower of Power song on this record mm. called "What Is Hip," and we needed a singer. And it's a tough, it's a very difficult song to sing. And we went through six or seven people before we found our guy to do this because it's at a very high register. And there just aren't a lot of male soul singers that can get up to that, to the, those notes and hit those notes well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was because the bass player was friendly with I Know a Guy. Mm-hmm. And 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 we got we got connected. So a lot of it was word of mouth. And you know, I, I know if if one of my guys is vouching for them, mm-hmm. they know what mm-hmm. the project is. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't insert yeah. somebody into it that can't almost, you know yeah. that can't cut it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. as a result, it's just an incredibly strong lineup, uh, top to bottom. So mm-hmm. it, it, Nolan, in terms of the arranging, did you like y'all decided on the songs and then? What's involved in something like that? I mean, the songs are out there, so you mm-hmm. already know what they sound like. Do you, you do you just think differently that you could take mm-hmm. them and make them something else? Sure. Like, I'm always fascinated by that because, like, you know, you watch The Voice, right? And yeah. they take these songs and mm-hmm. they make it their own. Like, mm-hmm. how do you even do that? Yeah, so, you got to give people something different for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was the real challenge of it, too, because um, Brian picked a really diverse lineup of tunes. And there were certain things that, like, he handed me and Anthony, and we know there were moments like, geez, what are we going to do with this? Because, I mean, for example, the Beatles tune, we did Norwegian Wood, you know, the Beatles version of that. There's a million different rock covers. There's jazz, and, you know, there's a Buddy Rich cover of that as well, too. Did you have and to listen to all of them to absolutely. kind of make sure you get your vertical that's oh, not yeah. like anybody else's? Yeah, and not even just trying to, like, you know, and then, then the challenge from that comes, we don't want to do something just to be different. We still yeah. want to do something that we really hear, so... The one that was most applicable to Anthony and I was the Buddy Rich High because it's strictly um, an instrumental version of it. So, but we said like, you know what, we we want to do something different than that as well. And then we created a product that is, you know, very unique. And I think me and Anthony are very proud of that one specifically yeah. because you know it does it still honors that original Beatles tune, but it's definitely got a spin on it. So that's really what we try to do. Like just like you said, we'll sit down, find every recording we can. So okay, what's the scope? And then you know we'll look at each other. What are what do we want this to sound like in a way that's still you know, Brian's happy with it, and it still gives on to the original tune, but it's still something new. It's very much something no one's ever heard before. Yeah. So it's a unique challenge. It's almost, in a way, I find more challenging than writing something 
completely original. I would think, yeah. Well, yeah. here's here's my dumb question, my amateur question. <laughs> you know how there are always these lawsuits because, mm-hmm. and there was one about a big rock band mm-hmm. a couple years ago that you know they stole. Oh, um, what's his name? Um, Robin Thicke. Oh stole yeah, yeah that's a big okay, thing. Right? It was a turning yeah. point in the industry. Blurred so, lines. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you? How do you, when you're, I mean, notes are notes. Is it the mm-hmm. sequence of notes that you can't take? Or, like, how do you do that? Because there's only so many in, in a scale, right? And yeah. it's the way they get lined up. Like, what is it that they protect? There's all kinds of different rules. I mean, there's a point, there was an article the other day, you know, someone tried to file a lawsuit and they said, you know, you can't own the major scale. And, I mean, you know a lot mm-hmm. about this side of the industry as well. Uh, the answer is uh, infringement is what a jury says infringement is which okay. is very very dangerous. Okay. Uh, so um, Katy Perry just lost a case uh, not that long ago. I think mm-hmm. that just that story just came out last. That's week. That's what I was talking about. Isn't it? Yeah. it was over a scale. It's over yeah. like a four note yeah. sequence. So it's it's until there's some real copyright reform from Congress, uh, we're going to continue to see a lot of a lot of litigation because the penalties are very tough. Plaintiffs' attorneys get attorneys' fees attached to those claims, and there's a lot of incentive for the plaintiffs. I was bar. just going to ask that. So yeah. it's almost like a money you can generate revenue just by throwing a lawsuit out there, yeah. and the chances are fifty fifty that a jury might agree, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's I one mean, way to put and it. That's what's yeah. dangerous. That's what makes yeah. lawyers so dangerous, unless they have some ethical guidelines to go by. I mean, yes, they're looking at the law, but I think there has to be an inner morality compass that says, "Look, you know, there's only so much here, mm-hmm. and if you show good intent, blurred lines was so obvious. I mean, to me, I yeah. even listen to it. I'm like, come on, man, you know. Yeah. But I think that if maybe like someone like yourself shows good intention, that you're trying yeah. not to use it. But the sequence just kind of happens to line up and it maybe is a one-piece or a one-time thing. Sure. But lawyers get paid to lawyer, right? Yeah. So I'm sorry for all the lawyers out there, but y'all know who you are. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, you know, I don't think it's fair to the musician because you're taking something that's... It's different than something that's empirical. This is like a creative, from the heart, kind of a different, very... Um, I don't even know how I'm trying to say this, but kind of an elusive thing. And I think you got to respect sure. the art form. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's not like it's uh, patents are much different. They're very, mm-hmm. yes. they're very technical. Yeah. There are drawings, there are diagrams. Right. It's much more obvious if there's patent infringement yeah. than if there is copyright infringement because right. it's a little bit more kind of ethereal. Mm-hmm. Like well, think about how we learn too as musicians. Even like whether you're learning music inside out to school, amateur profession, the best way to learn music, if anyone asks you, is you know to listen to other musicians. That's what you do. You're listening to the radio. You're listening mm-hmm. to music and trying to best think. You know. Getting like, how do I sound like that? Mm-hmm. We're basically trained to be copycats, and like of every great, there's something you know. And then no one goes in with that the intent, you know, what I'm trying to steal that work, but like, no, we want to sound and be the best musicians possible. And what a better way to do that than to listen to and learn mm-hmm. and be just like mm-hmm. the best? And that's and through that process is how you um, really develop your own individual voice. Yeah, and, and that's a long process. You know, it's a very it's a hard thing. It's something me and Anthony again we're really careful with. You said you know we really yeah. love this sound, but you know this has to be. The Brian Tuck complex. This has to be what we want to hear. Well, and, and in our case, we avoid all of that by paying the licenses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in order, so in order to record someone else's composition. So, like, let's say, for example, we want to record a Beatles tune. There are there are third party companies out there. You go to them. They are the rights managers for the Beatles on that composition. You buy a license. We're going to sell a thousand copies. Okay, you you pay us X number of dollars. You get the license, and then once you've purchased the license, 
we can record the song, we can publish the song, uh, publish by, I mean, release the song for sale, uh, whether it's online or, or in physical form. So you, uh, you, you play by the rules. So, really, is, yeah, is so as long answer. as you've asked permission, you mm-hmm. can do what you want. With, with the within, the then, scope, yeah. within the scope within the scope of the license yeah. yeah yeah it sounds to me like it's like every other industry you Correct. know you have a lot of people doing good work and the right thing and then mm-hmm. you have a handful of people they're trying to get over and want the easy way out and just steal it and hope they don't get caught when you kind of wonder because everybody gets caught ultimately well, so yeah. <laughs> I haven't worked with anyone like that quite yet but I mean you never and hopefully yeah. I'm hoping for the best it's part of the problem is that the legal landscape for this is not very clear. Yeah. So if you're a beginner, like if you're just coming out and you're reco- and and now that technology so makes it so easy, you can play a song in your bedroom on a guitar, publish it on your your YouTube channel, no filter, there's no gatekeeper, there's no record company, there's no agent, no manager. But if your song that you just put out to the world has a chord progression in it from Jimi Hendrix or somebody like that, YouTube's going to Somebody's going to come to come see you because there's software. Now it, a lot of it's software driven online. So there are algorithms that take what is published, match it up against libraries of songs. It's all math anyway, music, yes. really. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, it's easy to it, – it, it's a lot easier to catch infringers now because everybody wants to be a YouTube star or on Instagram yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. That's so, unfortunate because it – you can at the time think, oh, this is original. Yeah. You don't hear a song, and yeah. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you get a takedown notice, and and ninety nine times out of a hundred, that's the end of it. Yeah, you know. So sure. Nolan, your job is to make sure that doesn't happen. Then, but and yes, I know math is just base first principles. There's <laughs> artistry that gets laid over that, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and that, I mean, that's what we're going for. And that that was a big thing, you know, with the Norwegian Woodshop. We said like, okay, this Buddy Rich version is really great, and we and there was parts of, like, you know what? We really liked that. But a lot of that recording that we felt about it was pretty, you know, straight and narrow. There wasn't a lot of dynamic changes to it. There wasn't a lot of texture changes to it. And that's, that. you know, that was an example right there. There's a hundred recordings of that song. And, you know, me and Anthony just looked at each other and said, you know what? No one's really changed the time signature. No one's really had a flute solo going over where the guitar melody's playing. Like, and that it's stuff like that where we were like, you know, this is very out of the box. So if someone came to me and said, you ripped someone off, and I said, I don't know how. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of cool that you even think that way. Yeah. Because, like, who who thinks that? Like, oh, listen to this. Oh, there's no flute. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, have to, you have to give people something different because there are so many choices now. Right? We're, we're not really competing with other bands. There are no bands like us. Yeah. They're just not in the Philadelphia area. There just aren't. There might be, like, you know, Three Horns or, like, we're not really a party band. We're not really um, an orchestra. We're kind of in this weird space of our own. Yeah, like funk, jazz, rock, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But what we're really competing with is YouTube and Hulu yeah. and binge watching. And, and so we've got to do something that justifies people getting off the couch and getting out. Like, yes. it takes a yeah. lot to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like, there are very few yeah. bands that I know of in the area that get me out of the house. Yep. Because... And pay the price of the ticket. Well, right. Yeah. So that's our, you know, that's really one of our things. We we want to give people an experience that, you know, when it's over, you know, like we grab them by the lapels for 75 <laughs> minutes yeah. or 90 minutes. And then when the performance is over, we set them back down 
and uh, they can't wait for the next one. Yeah. So, so let me ask this because I ask it of every musician I talk to. Um, who were your influences, your musical influences? Oh, geez. Um, right from the start, I grew up in more of a jazz and commercial background. I basically went to college to study classical music, and I do a lot of my work in the pop and rock. But in terms of early influence when I really got into music, um, my parents were 80s rock heads, so they're the biggest YouTube boosters ever. So that's mm-hmm. how I know a lot of my mm-hmm. repertoire. Like, Steely Dan, Doobie Brothers, those are my first mu- yeah, they're my first musical influences. But in terms of a trumpet player, um, I really love Chet Baker as a jazz musician. I love my first jazz trumpet teacher was a great Clifford Brownhead. So those are my jazz influence. But now I absolutely love funk. That's like one of the big things. And you know, we do a lot of funk and rock and like in, in your group and that's why I'd absolutely love playing with you guys. So um yep. in terms of funk there's there's an artist out right now named Corey Wong who has a funk band. He's a modern day artist. He's like what I'm listening to right now. You know, he has a horn section band and a rhythm section he does a lot of studio work so that's someone who's out there today like doing it's all instrumental it's funk music and people love it so that's you know from early influences like jazz and now i'm like i'm really into this funk stuff and there's people still out there killing it what's it take to like jump from classical to like rock or pop and funk i mean the scales are different right the notes are in different sequence is that something that just comes naturally to you a lot of the techniques of music are pretty close to the same that's anything from any genre we all the same foundations and that's we know in terms of going to college for music and things like that your first step is you know you want to be a technical musician be able to you know anything or whatever your respective instrument or voice is you want to be able to technically be able to do it and then it's just a matter of learning genres and like i said the best way to do that is listen to music or find people in your industry who are working who are doing it and hang out with them and talk to them really get inside their head and that's what i try to do i say you know i want a foundation as a trumpet player went to college for music for that and now i do a lot of my gigging my work and the wedding band scene and covers and then this is like a really fun creative outlet for me work with brian and you're you're all three you know like it pays well it's a fun gig your music's absolutely <laughs> and like i love working with you guys so that's so and hanging out with guys like you know brian it's like okay you know and that's really where i get the, you know this large buffet of styles from so yeah. you know like yeah that you buffet of styles. Yeah. i like that how about your influences brian well i was um you know i grew up in the 80s so for me, the classic rock, gen, you know, was not that far <clears throat> past, right? So uh, for me, it was guys like Mitch Mitchell, who played with Jimi Hendrix, uh, or Carl Palmer. Yeah. Um, f- from a jazz standpoint, Elvin Jones, uh, or Buddy Rich, of course. And, you know, there are so many players now that are just technically blinding. They're fast and and uh, precise and and technically very good. But maybe the, the maybe the content isn't as moving for me anyway. So I tend to really gravitate towards the older stuff, which is why the repertoire of the band is we, we picked songs, you know, in a kind of small committee. Um, but they were songs I always had like some connection to indirectly or or directly. Uh, there's a, a the first song we heard is a Gino Vanelli song, for God's sakes, which hmm. um, a lot of guys in the band were like, who's that? And I'm like, you, listen. Back in the day, <laughs> this guy was ha- had a couple of number one songs, he did, and yeah. he had mm. a whole thing. And uh, it's a rock band, but harmonically, it's very much jazz influenced. And there's a lot of like minor key stuff going on that's interesting for us to latch on to and expand on that. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, you know, it was like there was one guy in the band who was like, I remember when this record came out. It was 1978. <laughs> Doesn't I sound have, like that anymore. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's it's again, you know, it's not something you're going to hear down at the at the corner nice. pub. Yeah. That's for sure. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Nolan Weibel and Brian Tuck, thank you so much for coming in. Your CD is called Life in High Gravity. It drops on September 14th. Where can people get it? You can go to BrianTuckComplex.com. And there's a button right at the top that says pre-order. So if if you click on that, it'll it'll be out on September 14th, and the pre-order gets you a digital download plus one physical format. So we're going to do CDs and we're going to do vinyl nice. uh, for this one. Nice. So, and what song are we going to be listening to on your way out? This is a uh, a Pat Metheny tune oh, called Pat "Dream Metheny. of the Return," mm-hmm. and it's always been one of my absolute favorite pieces. Uh, it is it is a showstopper. Uh, it's just a ballad that has this huge build uh, in the middle, and you get to the top of the mountain, and everyone's kind of, uh, you know, borderline weepy. So it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Do love this one. Well, thank you so much for coming in. It's really, it's been a thank pleasure. You. Thanks we for having me. that up, and we'll say goodbye to the gentleman, Nolan the gentleman. Brian Tuck, Life in High Gravity Drops. to Creative Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, follow the show on SoundCloud, or visit us on the web at creativeconfidential.net. Creative Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices.